Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, our guest is Kent Wyatt. Kent lives in the beautiful state of Oregon, where he is the communications manager for the city of Tigard. However, here on GovComs, we better know him as one of the founders of ELGL, which stands for Emerging Local Government Leaders, which is a company focused on engaging the brightest minds in local government across the United States. And indeed, they were a major partner of the very first GovComs Festival, which we held late last year. Kent's been working in local government for over 18 years and has worked in a variety of positions from a management analyst, a legislative analyst, and now he's working in communications. With all of the experience under his belt, in 2010, Kent founded ELGL to help tell the stories about the people, ideas, trends, and approaches in local government. As part of this storytelling, Kent assists the ELGL members to write blogs, run events, and indeed run their own podcast, GovLove, which really helps put the spotlight on the local government workers across the United States. He joins me all the way from Portland, Oregon today. Kent, welcome to GovComs. Hey, great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so Kent, listen, going back um, through this this career of yours in local government, when did you decide that government was going to be where you wanted to apply your, your best effort? Sure. So I grew up, my father was a city manager here in the United States, in uh, North Carolina, Virginia, for over 30 years. And so I grew up witnessing uh, firsthand the, the pros and cons. And it's certainly not all, uh, all flowers when it comes to that. You know, we'd be in the grocery store and people would be harassing him about his trash not, their trash not getting picked up or uh, why didn't you give my friend a job? And but I saw that. But on the, at the same time, I also saw like the genuinely authentic relationships that he had with employees. You know, we'd be out, you know, at an event and they would come up to him and sincerely say, hey, you did this for me. This really helped me in my career. And so that was on the back of my head. But I can't say that that was my original career path. I actually started um, down the path of being in the banking industry and realized quickly that's not what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, Hop took after I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do, kind of all I, uh, the only thing else I knew was local government. So I gave that a shot despite my, my dad suggesting I not because he had seen the ups and downs of that. And, uh, you know, it's been uh, obviously a great decision. I can't, um, I can't imagine having working in a field or profession where I can't wake up every day and impact community, you know, and that's, that's what I think is so great about local government. It's that, immediate impact that we have on folks. And, you know, COVID's only um, amplified the meaning for local government and what we can do for our communities. Listen, we'll come to that in a minute because I am very interested to understand um, the impacts of COVID uh, in the United States, which have been much more severe than they have been here in Australia, and obviously how that's rolled through. But traditionally in the United States, it would seem, at least from afar, that there is a, a greater suspicion of government. Certainly in Australia, you know, following the uh, you, know, you know the Westminster traditions of the UK, government is seen as a more you know benign 
and uh, I don't know, more helpful, I suppose, seen as a as a contributor. Whereas it does seem in parts of the United States, or even more broadly across the United States, that there is a bit of a suspicion about the government. You know, the the rights of the individual. You know, people don't in the United States don't like government being in their lives. Is is that true? And and indeed, is it true at a local government level, perhaps more so than at a, a national level? So it's somewhat true. Um, uh, you know, with federal government, a lot of suspicions and obviously a lot of politics involved in that. I worked in state government for a couple of years at the beginning of my career, and I also some, saw some of that. But on the local level, um, a community member doesn't care if their counselor is a Democrat or Republican if they want their pothole fixed. Uh, they don't care if they're a Democrat or Republican uh, when their water isn't coming through the way they want it to. They don't care if you're a Democrat or Republican if the garbage doesn't get picked up. So, you know, I think you know, local government is actually uniquely positioned in that respect, that it's less about the R&D in the United States here, the, the party you're about, and it's more about can you get stuff done on the local level. And, yeah, just that's just another reason why, why I, I enjoy this work so much. So that direct impact that you you have, and if we look at it through that lens of communication, and again you've you know moving through, you know you've been a management analyst, you you've worked in the legislative roles, but now you're working in in communications. How are you thinking um, about communications uh, in order to better inform people and better engage people around those you know? really core functions that um, are delivered by local government? So, you know, to start with, I, I, I think the next uh, leaders in local government are going to come from communications. Um, if you look at it, what, what fields, um, you know, if you're working for an organization that really cares about communications and engagement, and I think more and more do, and I think COVID's actually magnified that, um, what other position are you in discussions like this today for the city of Tigard, which I work in? You know, my day my day started off with a, a discussion about our leadership uh, development program for underrepresented communities. Uh, it w- went on to talk about our community report card that we put out to increase our transparency in our community, and it ended with working on a presentation for our mayor about our accomplishments. What other position can you do uh, that work in? And so I'm, I'm super excited about the future of communications. And, and what also excites me is the new blood in communications. You see folks, at least in the United States, who used to be television reporters, used to be newspaper journalists. And unfortunately, with that field having their challenges, they're coming more and more to, to government. Um, in my organization in Tigard, we just hired a, a local TV, television reporter who has completely changed the way we look at video production. And, it, and those type of things. So I, I think communications is, is changing so much. And the organizations that realize the value of that are the ones that really are ahead of the curve. Mm. Yeah, there are some fantastic examples in the United States where where you can see exactly this influence of the media having sort of found its way into local government. And on this podcast, we've uh, highlighted a few times the city of Gilbert and the way that uh, that city really has just transformed the way it goes about communicating and how it uses technology and uses that ability to be uh, their own media company in order to, you know, tell that story to not only local 
um, stakeholders, but more broadly than that, to tell you know to take the the story of the city um, to a national and indeed international audience as well, so people can understand it better. But yeah, to I mean, that point, well, I, I mean, on that, on that, I yeah. would say, I mean, I, I that's what we should be doing. Like, I don't look at us as a city; I look at, at us as a community. So we started two podcasts during COVID: one in English and one in Spanish, and. We don't focus on, uh, we don't have a staff member every week talking about a Parks and Rec master plan or water infrastructure. Uh, certainly we have that from time to time, but we're telling the story of the teachers out there who are impacting students. We're telling the, the story of the folks who are getting the vaccine out there. And, you know, because of that void of news coverage, that's what we're here for. And at the same time, we're also telling our history and building our history. You know, it's my hope that in 30 years, people can listen to the podcast that we have as a city and learn about what Mayor Snyder, our current mayor, did and hear about all the mayors in that time frame. And so, you know, the importance of our positions as, as communicators can't be understated. And if you feel like it's not valued, you need to find another organization because, <laughs> I mean, it really it, it is. It's We are telling our story. It's not, you know, the United States uh, 10 years ago, I feel like people thought people thought you could throw a college intern in there and let them throw out some social media messages. That's not, that's not it. That's, that's, if you truly value it, that, that's not the approach you're taking. Uh, it's a lot more comprehensive than that. Yeah, indeed. Well, you're certainly speaking to the, uh, preaching to the converted here um, is right. certainly, you know, part of what we understand as this massive opportunity that's, uh, that sits in front of um, every government organisation, be they at a, a, a federal, state, local level. You know, the, the factors of media production and distribution have been democratised. So it's you are a media company whether you like it or not. It's just how you're going to use that. So maybe as an example, I'm really uh, intrigued then about these these podcasts. You know, tell, take us through that story. How was it that you decided um, what was happening and how were you able to stand it up? Sure. And it's something, you know, I, I had been involved with the ELGO GovLove podcast. And once I started the work in my city, I, I kind of backed off that. But, you know, it started from COVID, but it's become so much more. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of, um, you know, a lot of protesting around um, racial equity and racial, racial justice that folks feel like is not happening and rightfully feel like it's not happening in our communities. And so when that came about, we, we launched a separate um, kind of mini-series, six or seven episodes, where I interviewed uh, diversity, equity, inclusion experts from the local university, interviewed folks from the Oregon um, Black Pioneers, and simply organized or interviewed a uh, father and son, who um, black males who grew up in Tigard, and to tell their story. And so podcasting to me is such a powerful platform, and it's also one that um, – can be done with minimal resources. Um, you know, you certainly can have a nicer studio and a mics and all that, but for $20 a month, uh, we're recording our podcast and we're getting it out on the major platforms. You know, cert- could the sound quality be better? I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it hasn't impacted our ability to get guests like our, um, our U S representative that we've had on there. And then in our community is becoming more and more diverse. So I, w- I think we're, one of the only cities in the United States that has a Spanish podcast. Um, it's, in, it's in Spanish, all the guests are in Spanish, and it's really been helpful during COVID because of the impact, unfortunately, to that community. Um, and so I think there's a lot more potential for that. And I know some cities in the United States are doing it, but um, I would definitely bang the drum and encourage others uh, to look at that as a good avenue to get your message out. 
So in terms of getting the message out and getting it adopted and getting it listened to, what sort of reaction did you have and how popular um, did the podcast become or have, have the podcast, both of them, both the uh, sure. Spanish language podcast and the other podcast, how, how popular have they become? Yeah, you know, the Spanish one's interesting because uh, we've gotten more traction on YouTube just because of the audience. Uh, the, the traction's great. Um, you, know, I, you know, we have numbers that are, are good and increasing. The way I look at, like, um, how well it's doing is the feedback we hear from the community. So it used to be me trying to drum up a guest or something interesting to talk about, and now people are pitching me ideas. And we saw the same thing with um, the ELGO GovLove podcast, and you, you might see it too. And I think that's a sign that people are listening and, and thinking about how they might fit into that story. Um, so that's been, a, that's been a, a real boom. And I think the potential really even hasn't been realized. Uh, we've been in somewhat of a lockdown with COVID, but uh, my plan is to take it on the road and take it to local restaurants, take it to nonprofits, hear directly from them. And uh, at the same time, we're helping each other and we're building that foundational relationship. Uh, to me, you know, I can't talk enough about the foundational relationship. I, I think it's unfortunate how many governments uh, only talk to people when they want a survey filled out or they want somebody to serve on a board or committee. Like that's, that's, that's not the way we need to go. Um, we need to be authentic and take the time to build those relationships. And this is just one part of it for us. Mm. So in terms of your, you know, your wider platform, if we could um, call it that, uh, you know, across the city of, of Tigard, what are, what are your main channels that you're using at the moment apart from the, this innovation around podcasts? Yeah, so obviously social media is a big one. We have a, an engagement platform um, called Bang the Table, which I know is an inter, used internationally um, and has been a real boom for us, especially um, during COVID. And so we, we've really realized the value, and I think we've all, always known it as communication staff, but our elected folks have realized the value of mixing virtual engagement versus in-person. Um, every Thursday, the first Thursday every month, we sit our mayor down in front of a computer and he does Facebook Live. And you can ask him anything, he'll answer it. Uh, you know, he'll take hard questions or have staff get back to him. And so I think that goes to the authenticity uh, of government. Uh, I feel like 10, 15 years ago, we were trying to hide behind press releases and not actually tell the story and, and sometimes say, hey, great point, we don't have the answer, or hey, agree to disagree on this one. And so the more we can make ourselves available, especially elected officials, because those are, at least for us, who tend to have the most trust with our community, uh, that's just so important. So in terms then of this journey towards this more media-based uh, approach, how, how did that start? Was that you coming up with the ideas or was it the elected representatives and other, other members in, in the city coming to you with ideas and saying, hey... You know, we could we we should be doing Facebook Lives, or um, you know, we should be using YouTube more effectively. How? What was that story around that? Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of both. The, the real origin story is we had a ballot measure we were trying to pass to get funding for our parks and recreation, and um, you know, we ran into a lot of hurdles in that campaign. And one of the things that we realized. Um, is that we started to tell stories. So we started to tell stories about individual employees or community members that were impacted by the city. But that came off as inauthentic because we hadn't done that before. 
Um, somebody compared it to like going to a car lot and trying to be sold a car. Like they'd never heard of this. Why are you doing this now? And so we, we continue to do it from that campaign. It's been four or five years in the making. And, you know, I, I think you should always be doing that regardless of whether you have a campaign going on or not. But that kind of did allow us to have the platform. And then like anything, I think once people hear the success um, that you have, uh, elected, official, elected officials give you a little bit more leeway. Um, I would encourage your listeners if, uh, to check out our City of Tiger YouTube channel. We did a we do our late night in Tiger um, State of the City, and Mayor Snyder does a top ten list. He interviews people in the street. Um, he does he does a lot of things that are not governmenty, and so kudos to him and other electeds for being comfortable with doing that. Because obviously that's you know if they're not up to it, then we can't push that. Um, but I think more and more are, and uh, slowly building that trust. Uh, it's certainly been important. And, you know, on the Facebook Live in particular, where the mayor likes it is that, you know, he'll have somebody drop in and say, hey, what about this park? Some Somebody we've never heard from before, he can answer that question. That person drops off and goes back to their normal business. But we're connecting with those folks we that don't have time to stop by a coffee shop and sit down for an hour and talk about it. So just a different way of getting uh, getting out and connecting to new audiences. So in terms of enabling this again it's you know it sounds like a again this content marketing approach mm-hmm. to you know telling uh, the the story of of the communi- community uh, connecting authentically with the community using the personality of people such as Mayor Snyder how how have you adapted and evolved your communication capability to be able to deliver this new style of approach yeah, no, you hit it. Authenticity is huge. The other thing I would point out is timeliness. So with the um, downfall of local journalism, um, so we'll, I'll use an example of wildfires this past summer. Um, unfortunately, we had a lot of those in Oregon. And uh, on, the, on the local news, you're not going to get information about the roads that are closed in Tigard or the library being closed. And so my lens is I want to provide information that you're not going to get anywhere else. Um, you're not going to get this on in the Oregonian, which is the regional paper. So we've really focused on filling that niche that's not being um, not being fixed or filled, excuse me. Um, and with really minimal resources, I think what the one thing we've we've stretched ourselves lately is is to have more bilingual staff so we can communicate in English and Spanish for us. That's a huge deal. Um, I feel like we are failing in our jobs if we're not trying to reach all parts of our community. Um, and that's not an easy sell sometimes for elected officials either, but luckily in our community, um, it has been. So in terms then of the team that you have working with you at the city of Tigard, what does it, what does it look like and what sort of skills do they have? Yeah. So we, uh, we have communications team. We meet once, once a week. I just hired a, a new digital communications coordinator uh, who brings in uh, private sector experience. Uh, he's young, which I I love the fresh ideas. I mean, I'm in my early 40s, but I didn't grow up around these tools that folks have. And so I don't think to get the best staff, you have that the most experienced staff. I think you have to realize, um, realize and empower folks who may be 25 and have incredible skills from video production to graphic design. Um, so that's just one example. We have uh, uh, our police uh, communications person has an extensive background in local television. 
And that's an example of somebody who's helped us, helped us gain more media coverage and really pushed items out and pitched stories. Um, but yeah, pretty much every department, we have a communications um, person and um, just really exchange ideas and trying to find different ways to get above the fold. Uh, we have a, we created a character called the Bureau Cat, which he uh, is a cat that, uh, that we do memes each week for that talk, encourages people to vote or encourages people to stay home during COVID. And that was the, an, uh, another low-cost way that we've connected with our community and, and something that the bureaucrat actually gets asked more about than a lot of other things. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I think for your listeners, it's, and for you, I mean, it's, it's not any different than how would you talk to your neighbor about what you do. Like, my neighbor doesn't care about 80% of stuff I do. My neighbor does care about sidewalks to get his kid to school, uh, does care about the streets being in good shape. And just realizing that, yeah, we can talk about all of it, but let's let's make sure we're not just inundating people with asks about um, topics that may not be of interest to them. And it sounds like you know through memes like the the bureau cat, there's a sense of humor. Yeah, um, there's there's a relatability around the content, so people will engage with it. Yes, I. You have to have well. I, yeah, I think you have to have a sense of humor in government. I wish we would. I wish more folks did. Um, and I, you know, I think some of that is just the organization I'm in and having that flexibility. But you know, it's not like something I walked in day one and had that. You know, you build, you build trust with your leaders in your organization. That um, you know, I know that they hear from people on the street about certain things we do and hope you know those things that they like we do that we do. And um, you know, that just builds more support for. Uh, um, communication efforts in the future. Now, I, I'm interested in in your, your previous answer. You mentioned that you've got communications people in different parts of the of of the uh, the, the local government there for the city of Tigard. So, do you have? Is it an outsourced? Case? So that it's not a big central team, but it's, it, there's there's somebody who is what co-located in each of those areas, whether it's police or whether it's. Um, I don't know utilities. Yeah. Is that how it's? Is that how you've structured it? Yeah, I mean it's it's something that I mean I'm sure you're for your listeners it's all over the place too. It's it's I would say it's a decentralized structure with the central group being myself, graphic design and web administrators, along with a digital comms person. And um, in a lot of ways, we're consultants for the departments. Um, like on the, we don't have positional power, but um, you know we do try to. Uh, we have strong relationships with each of those departments. So, you know, whether it's a library or police, uh, it's a give and take both ways. And, uh, you know, that, that happens from having great people on staff and people being willing to work together. Mm. So you, you sort of, at that central area, you hold the strategy, I suppose, the overarching strategy, and then you're working with those different areas to try to bring that strategy to life through their particular line of activity. Yeah, so you know, if it's a if it's our strategic plan, that kind of falls into my area, you know. But obviously, all departments are taking care of that. If that's a a ballot measure for public safety, which we passed last year, you know, that's working closely with the police department um, on that. And yeah, that, that's I would say that's one of the most challenging parts of the position because uh, I would I would love to have overall authority over everything and be able to write things the way I want. But when it, when push comes to shove, it's actually better. Um, that we do have that give and take between departments. 
And do you, or are there multiple channels set up then? So, for example, if we're talking about the library, do they have their own um, platform where they've got their own socials, they've got their own newsletters, they've got their own website, and they look after that? Yeah, so we do, our website's pretty much all centralized right now. We're actually redoing our, our website. Um, some of the social media, police and library, have their own and for the most part do their own. Um, we have our digital comms person um, who we're trying to do more in Spanish, so he will help out with that. Uh, and our graphic design team, which is centralized, um, creates you know, graphics um, for each of the departments to use in, our, in social media. It's an interesting time, isn't it? This sort of evolving capability and whether it's all sort of, you know, centrally controlled or whether it's dispersed. But I have another thesis that I think that the importance of communication um, is going to be such that uh, it's increasingly going to be devolved and it's going to be increasingly closer to the citizen because of that need for timeliness. And indeed, communication skills are ultimately going to be dispersed across the organisation and there will be a role for people such as yourself to be, you know, sitting at the centre of the, as for example, like the, the centre of excellence. But ultimately, uh, most of the communication will be done by the different line areas because that's the way it'll have to be in order to meet the needs of, of citizens. Yeah, I think more and more you're seeing that. And, you know, organisations have grown from having one person to three or four people. And um, yeah, and so I, and I, and I, I, I the timeliness and authenticity I can't speak enough of. And, and in a lot of ways, the departments are going to be the ones that can best provide that. Um, and, but, it, you know, when push comes to shove, it's about um, having those relationships and, and working together as a, as a team. You know, our, stra- our, our approach is try to get, trying to get to that one city, one voice. Um, but obviously there are, there's always challenges around that. But as long as we are, are, each of our departments are authentic and timely, uh, we're moving forward in the right direction then. Mm. So th- listen quickly, um, to COVID, what, what happened? What was the big change? Where was the demand and, and how did you react and respond quickly um, to be able to meet that demand? Yeah, the, I mean, the big change was really on, on a micro-local level um, about, you know, it started in, in March uh, 2020, I guess, uh, with, our, with our parks um, our parks were closed or parts of our park were closed and, um, like our tennis courts and some of these, um, activities that involved more interaction. And, uh, so that started and it really grew quickly. And, and what we saw is these very specific questions that people wanted answered and right. And rightfully so, um, about, you know, parks or whether that's upcoming events. And, um, as an organization, I feel like we pivoted really quickly um, to meet a lot of these virtually. And so whether it's COVID or racial justice, um, you know, the thing that's helped us succeed in Tigard is transparency. So, I mean, it's plain and simple and, you know, the police are a great example of that. You know, they, we had a lot of questions after the death of George Floyd about how to, how are we going to avoid this in Tigard? Uh, what kind of policies do you have in place? And as opposed to running from that or dumping it in a press release, uh, you can go to our website and read everything we do, and uh, you may not agree with all of it, um, but if you don't, there's contact information on there, and that's the same way uh, w- with COVID. So we did daily updates um, on our webpage, and then pushed them out on Facebook and Twitter. For us, Twitter's been extremely effective for us at getting the media to catch on to our messaging. 
um, because of some of our of our Twitter presence. We've we've been interviewed on local news um, TV. Uh, there was an article in the paper, our local paper, about Tiger's great communication response to COVID. Um, so really, just being straightforward about it, and at the same time, which is a challenge for all of us as communicators, how do you make it interesting? Like, how are you just not repeating like wear a mask, social distance? Uh, I, I, you can hear that anywhere, but how do we make that unique to Tiger? You know, one example for us is using the bureaucrat and, and <laughs> him demonstrating like how to wear a mask. Um, and, and then on a more serious note, having our library director on our podcast saying, hey, yeah, we are closed and here's why and here's what we'll look at when we consider reopening. Yeah, it's it's fascinating and, and and well done. You know, this to me, this is a you know fantastic demonstration of that 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 um, you know that media mindset, that ability about how do you tell a story in such a way that's going to capture people's attention, and indeed for the leadership to be able to allow you. And again, you know, this doesn't happen in five minutes. You've clearly built the trust with them over time, so that they will give you um, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And as long as they can continue to see. Uh, the results coming in and, um, you know, the world doesn't cave in because, again, government is a very risk-averse environment, isn't it? And it takes time for that trust to be built up. Yeah, yeah the trust definitely takes time. Uh, I think there's definitely some quick wins you can have and and especially in communications because I'm fully aware that our elected officials in the grocery store or at the Little League game are talking to folks in the community and are getting an earful one way or another about <laughs> hearing the things they hear and uh, and so I embrace, we embrace that. You know, we, we have the little league director on our podcast and we, we use that as a way to build relationships. You know, it's that relationship piece in communications that it, it takes time, but, um, that's, it, it really shows during emergency situations. Uh, we have a, a community round table that I, I call together in Tiger, which is nonprofit and faith-based leaders. And similar to our podcast, it's not about us, it's about them. We talk about homelessness, we talk about volunteerism, talk about COVID support. Uh, we don't talk about a parks master plan. And six months from then, I might be able to ask them about that. But until I have that relationship, that's, that's not what we're after. No, it sounds like a brilliant, uh, a brilliant approach, which is obviously um, paying off um, for you in spades. But a final question before I let you go, Kent. As you look towards perhaps, say, the next 12 months, what are the priorities that you have uh, in order for you to continue um, to deliver for the community there in, in Tigard? Yeah, so I, I think it, we fall back on kind of three things, that authenticity, which we've talked about a lot about, the timeliness, uh, which we've talked about, and then the other part is technology. So how do, I, how do we leverage our success that we've had on virtual platforms now that we can do in-person events? And I think there's a lot of, a lot of ways we can, we can do that um, because we do want to expand our audience. And so, the, I mean... There's a lot of positive momentum and more trust, I think, from the community to us because they've seen how we've communicated in Tiger. So for us, we keep at it. Um, we, you know, Some of the stuff we're doing, uh, which is fairly new, we have a Facebook group, um, which is Spanish only for our Spanish-speaking um, population. We, actually, we have a community Facebook group um, that we're using. But at the same time, as the listeners know, it's about that engagement. So we, 
when we get the green light, we do ice cream pop-up events in the community where we bring the ice cream truck to you. And we don't bring surveys with us. We just bring a listening ear and folks ask questions. And inevitably, they're going to probably ask a question that is on a topic that we want to talk about too. And so that that's where we get back to. Um, but I do think we have to find a way to, to continue to embrace, whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever it is, um, for those community members who don't want to spend three hours at a council meeting, but they do want to connect with their elected officials. Um, so all in all, yeah, I think communications is always changing, and we have to be at, uh, be at the forefront of that and continue to find ways to meet our goals of, of, being, of being authentic, uh, timely, and embracing that technology that's out there. Just so that, sorry, one more final question then around that technology. Are you using, uh, you know, a platform like a, you know, a HubSpot or a, you know, Salesforce or any of the other sort of marketing automation technologies which are enabling you to sort of um, capture, you know, the insight, the data in order for you to make better decisions or have you not yet moved down that path? You know, a little bit. Uh, We have... uh, um we have a 30, our community is 50,000 people. We have a listserv of 30,000 that our newsletter goes out to each week. We use that a simple MailChimp um, platform for that. We're, um, Tyler Technology is coming on board in Tigard, and that will help us have a, a 311 um, system that people can report potholes or other problems in the, in the city. Um, and then we're doing a, launching a new website with Granicus in the next couple of weeks that will uh, once again, not be about us. It will be about the community. Um, so it will be a heavily, heavily focused on services. Um, I don't think our community cares about public works or community development. I do think they care about where the park is and what is that building going up next to their house. And so with that, that lens uh, is what we've been using to um, really change the way we communicate on our website. You know, we know that's not where everybody goes, but that's usually kind of the fallback of, hey, let me go see what's happening about this, and we want to make it as easy as possible for them. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that whole – and that's another probably conversation for another time, this whole sort of citizen experience and how it can yeah. be tied together exactly as you're doing it there in the city of Tigard. But that's a fantastic conversation, and thank you so much for giving up some of your time today. Sure. Congratulations on all of your success, and thanks very much for sharing – that story with our audience, uh, the purpose of GovComs is for people to pick up one or two or three things. And uh, I have a page full of notes where I'm actually now going to. This is this this podcast is a bit of a con, I've got to say, because I actually <laughs> write all these things down and all these different ideas and always try to take them away and put them into our consulting uh, work that we do because there's just so many great insights that we get each week. And uh, Kent, th- thanks so much for, for sharing your city and uh, your story there um, of the city of Tiger. And also congratulations on all the great work at the uh, – ELGL, it continues to thrive and flourish, I imagine. Yeah, again, expanding internationally and um, really doing some great work in the in the diversity realm. So, to any of your listeners, happy to talk about more about Tiger or or about ELGL. And uh, to your point, I, I love borrowing slash stealing ideas um, <laughs> in government communications. Uh, I, I'm I'm not. Uh, Shy about that. Each week, our communications team, we bring in experts from other cities, city of Plano, Texas, um, a city in Georgia this week, and just simply have a chat with them because we know there's things we can get better at too. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, particularly at this time of such rapid and dramatic change where everyone is is chasing, um, there's never enough resources, there's never enough time, you know, we're not in this static world that we are testing and learning and moving at, at, at speed. So wherever we can pick up the learnings, um, it's got to be... Uh, it's got to be encouraged. And indeed, people love to talk about, you know, what they're up to and what they're doing. And they share their story and, and share their successes and, and share their failures. So, um, yeah, fantastic. So congratulations again, Kent. Really appreciate you coming on today all the way from the city of Tigard in Portland, Oregon. Um, very grateful for, to Kent White today. But what a audience, what a fantastic um, story there. And again, what I take out of that from Kent is just, you know, that that citizen centered focus on what they're doing you know forget about all of the you know the big set pieces and the big you know really work hard at trying to understand what people are looking for and do it with a sense of humor what about the bureaucrat uh, bureaucrat i should say mm-hmm. what a fun, what a what a great meme um you know they might we might see a few of these bureaucrats uh, jumping up all over the place because i think that's you know, that sense of humour always works uh, as we continue to try to engage with citizens in what are obviously going to continue to be uh, challenging times. But a big thank you to Kent White for coming on today. And also, audience, a big thank you for you for coming back once again. We'll be back at the same time in a couple of weeks. But for the moment, it's bye for now.